0: What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer and this week we have a great episode with Sean Asada from Iowa. Sean is a licensed agent but he bought his first farm in 2008 and you get to hear how he went from 10 acres with side hustles to many many more acres and lessons learned and we're diving into all of that here today. There's some great insights here whether you're looking to buy your first farm or maybe you already have one and you're just looking to learn more about the ins and outs of owning property so this is a great conversation i hope you guys enjoy it i know i did if you are brand new here to the land podcast the goal is really simple it's very simple it's to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground so there's three ways to be included on this list number one if you're looking in the state of illinois i'm more than happy to help you Uh, i'm a licensed broker here and if you're looking in the area that i'm familiar with i'm happy to assist number two if you want to get connected with someone that I'd consider doing business with I'm happy to make an introduction and you can make a decision from there number three if you just simply learn something from here it helps you take action makes you take the plunge that you've been pushing off for years I want to hear it and then I want to add you to the list so hope you guys enjoyed this episode the lucky winner of the Exodus and bow hunting Ohio whitetails giveaway was Cody L from Pennsylvania so congratulations to him you signed up you should have got a text message from us with a sweet deal Anytime we do those, we like to give some sort of reward for you guys taking the time to sign up, even if you are not the grand prize winner. That is it for now. I just hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do, please leave a written review. Helps us reach new people. And here we go. Sean, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you, Jake? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for doing this here today. I'm really excited for, for the conversation. And uh It's been a while since I've had another real estate agent on here, so it's always fun to get perspective from other professionals in the space. Hear what's going on in their part of the country, and uh, just from nature of the business, you get to see and hear a lot of different things. And obviously, you're a landowner yourself. But before we get too far into this, just go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, uh, get an idea.
1: Yeah, I am Sean Asada. I'm a real estate broker here in Iowa. I've been licensed since 2017. And first farm or piece of land I bought was actually in 2008. So I, 2008. I've been brokered through Remax basically the entire time I've had my license. I still am brokered through through Remax. I'm an owner broker of an office here in the Des Moines area. Awesome. Yeah, that's
0: really cool. And so you mentioned you bought your first farm in 2008. Was that... Yeah. Uh, just tell me a little bit about that because obviously that's something... Everyone, 2008 is, if you even have a slight inkling of uh, interest in real estate, 2008, that gets brought up all the time for a variety of reasons. What was that like then when you bought your first piece?
1: Um, The market had went down a little bit at the time. I had a steady job. My wife had a steady job. We were starting to save. And just, you know, I was a lurk, you know, L-U-R. I was a lurker for many years. It's not like I called on a bunch of properties every now and then I drive by one that I liked or something like that, but looked at them online all the time from probably 2004. I graduated from college in 2003. So started looking in 2004 and just looked a lot online. And then one day just Googled, which I'm sure tons of people Google still this day land for sale in Iowa. (laughs) And it was a Saturday. And my wife and I found some land for sale and we decided no kids at the time decided we we're going to take a cruise. And one thing I've learned in my, with being married for several years now, since 2005, so quite a while. One thing I've learned is my wife doesn't look, if we go to look, we're going to buy doesn't <laughs> matter for looking at a vehicle or, um, groceries, or, not like you look at groceries, but <laughs> furniture. We don't go look at furniture. It's, buy if it. we're going, yeah, we're <laughs> buying. And I didn't know that at the time. At the time, no idea we were buying that day. Uh-huh.
0: Well, that's crazy. And so I, I I just wanted to ask that real quick. But before we get too far into this, you we've talked here a little bit. You kind of have a an array of sales experience too over the years.
1: Yeah, I would say a, a little bit. I've always been... Um, you know, some people call it the gift of gab. I, I don't know if that's really a gift or sometimes you just talking are annoying, but I, I really enjoy talking to people. I like getting to know people. You know, some people say networking, networking is kind of a, a lightly used term. I like to connect with people just like talking. Mm-hmm. So ever since I was a kid, I mean, I, it didn't matter. I was always a very curious person. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think Natural curiosity is a really good thing, because if you're constantly learning and talking to different people, I mean,
1: there's so many
0: sharp people out there that are willing just to give you a tidbit of information that may be very really impactful at some point in your life where you go back and remember that. And if, if you do have a relationship, give them a call and say, hey, what do you think about this? And maybe they have dealt with that identical thing. And uh, when you're making a big decision, that's huge. But so you you kind of if I'm correct, you sold some appliances and just the whole the whole spectrum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. So graduated from UNI, uh, mar- moved to the Des Moines area, got married, and I worked full time for a local utility company. But I was, I've always been a busybody, always wanting to do more. And that, that probably came from growing up. Legitimately, you hear people say that, yeah, we grew up and we were poor. I just never knew it until I looked back. That wasn't me. I knew we were poor. <laughs> like i knew we were poor when my, we had our phone cut off my mom would be you know call the phone company hey and this is my mom's awesome get along with her great tons of respect for my mom i wouldn't have it any other way than how i grew up but they just have to cut the phone off because she couldn't pay the bill we'd run a lp so she'd heat the house with the stove the oven you know one of the mm-hmm. new ovens they shut off when you open them up but not old ones, fortunately. <laughs> she, swear, honest to goodness, she washed her clothes in the bathtub when our mo- washing machine broke. We had this old washboard, you know, washboard. Yeah, she'd wash her. She washed her clothes in the bathtub. Our refrigerator broke for a week, and she kept our stuff cold in the same bathtub at a different time, but same <laughs> bathtub with ice. So uh-huh. we grew up very, very modest. Honestly, poor. We, uh-huh. we really did. So I just I had this feeling that I could outwork being poor. I just, I never wanted to be rich, still no desire to be rich. I just always ran away from being poor. Mm-hmm. So graduated from I moved to the Des Moines area, worked 40 hours a week, but that wasn't enough. So I knew a guy that had a dealer's license for autos. So he would help me buy a few vehicles online through his dealer license and I'd buy wrecked vehicles. And then I found a guy that would fix them. So I bought a few Hondas and Toyotas. I think I bought a couple of Fords and bought them at a good price, salvaged titles, and didn't bother me. And then paid a guy to fix them and make two to 3,000 a piece on them. Did that for not quite a couple of years. You know, two to $3,000 on 10 vehicles, it'll add up. Yeah. And then he moved. So I had no longer, no longer that I have access to the dealer's license. And I still wanted to make money part-time. So then on nights and weekends, I worked at Sears selling appliances, and that was straight commission. But fortunately, it was right down the road from my house in Des Moines. And um, so I just went there on nights and weekends, slung appliances, enjoyed it, got to know people really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that money, between selling cars, selling appliances, we had bills to pay, You know, married, had a house payment, but that added up to enough money to put a down payment on our first piece of land. Yeah.
0: When you were doing all that, was that the goal in the back of your mind that you were saving up for a down payment for a piece of land? Or was it just building up a nest egg and, you know, figuring out something out later?
1: Or was it a, a definitive goal when you were doing it? The definitive goal was to make extra money and save it. My goal was to buy land unbeknownst to my wife.
0: I <laughs> got it. So, <laughs> so that, I mean, that's fair.
1: <laughs> that's fair. And
0: I think that's, that's such an important thing because I think a, a, for most people that are getting started... You're right. Everyone has bills. Everyone has fixed expenses. And, uh, I feel like it's almost human psychology where people, when they make a little bit more money then they start, you know, they get this additional subscription, or maybe they get this thing that eats up $150 a month. And I really do feel that you almost have to have two streams of income to really kickstart it, especially when you're, when you're of that age to yeah. an additional stream of income to
1: nest away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to money, it's always one of two things. It's an income thing or it's an outgo thing. And you have to do. You have to cure, or you have to address one of the two. And uh, I am not somebody. Don't get me wrong. I am. My wife and I are are very frugal with our money. We do. We live on a budget. But but it's not like I lived like a poor person. You know, we had a house payment. I had a so-so truck. um, We had a boat. We still have a boat. We've had several boats. People Uh always dog on boat payments. I freaking love boats. Love them. (laughs) I like loud boats. I like V8s. I like fast cars. I've had a few of those. I love that stuff. Uh But you just have to, you have to curtail it and live bottom line. You got to live under your means. Yeah. Somehow, some way save that money. With a lot of the
0: guys that you've helped maybe buy their first farm over the years, is that a similar trait or a a pattern you've seen? And I'm talking for the guys that maybe you help buy a piece that are between 25 and 35.
1: Yeah. You know what? A lot of times what it is, um, it is they have a mortgage and then they have two vehicle payments because their wife and themselves both have really nice vehicles and any more, gosh, a vehicle payment, $500 is nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at seven, eight, maybe $900 a month on a vehicle payment. Mm -hmm. So I actually ran the math the other day, a $60,000 truck, the payment on a $60,000 truck for 72 months, is pretty much the same as buying a $200,000 piece of land and putting 20% down. You know, Interest rate, comparable interest rate for comparable interest rate. Mm-hmm. A $60,000 truck, same payment as a $200,000 piece of land, which it'll probably get you a 40, 48 yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah,
0: it, it's really that simple. And I think people like to make it harder than what it is, but it, it really is that simple. And there's there was a stat I read Texas had the highest car average car payment. I want to say it was at eleven hundred dollars a month. That was the average. The average. Uh, Wyoming was another big one, and then uh, <clears throat> a lot of them were like eight or nine hundred. And this so that's the highest has been in history, obviously. And they they said the reason Texas and Wyoming had the highest was because of big trucks, because you know all the ranchers and everything out there. So obviously they're going to be higher. But yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. Eleven hundred bucks can go. That's a pretty pretty nice size farm payment. In, it is. And so, um, so with that being said, when you had a so-so truck, did you keep that so-so truck when you bought that first piece or was it, did you have to cut anything or was it that, that initial nest egg, you bought it and then funding, hmm. or I guess, just tell me the story. Did you buy cash? Did you end up financing it? Just, no, we, go dive right we,
1: in. it was, yeah, it was only 10 acres, uh-huh. but you know what? It, it didn't matter. It was something. It was 10 acres. It was all timber. And believe it or not, the first couple of years that we owned it, especially the first year, it was really good hunting. Nice. It was on that little piece, there was probably, at least this is crazy talk. You can't even find this. I mean, you can go buy 300 acres and not have this, but on that 10 acre piece that first year, there was one, if not 270 inch plus deer. Oh my gosh. So, so that's that's wild, right? Did they live there? No. Did they come through during the rut, get them on camera a couple times? Yeah. Did I see them? Uh, one of them, yeah, one of them I saw. And that's, that's ludicrous for anybody to think that that's possible to, to replicate, but it's just pure luck. Yeah. So that piece we put 20 or 25% down, we paid like $4,500 an acre for it. And at the time, that's, that's not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, land at the time was probably going for $2,700 to $3,000 an acre. But it was a really small piece. So as you know, you know, bigger buyer pool, price goes up. Mm-hmm. So bought that piece, had a payment on it. Um, it did not have water and electric, put water and electric on it. Had a bunch of dirt hauled in, cleared out a building spot. Um, the water, I paid the utility company to run that in. The electric, I actually rented a trencher. And on Easter Sunday, I went down there with the electric trencher and trenched in the electric line and then paid an electrician to hook it up. Uh-huh. So... Um, then the neighboring piece, which was 13 acres that ended up going, unfortunately that ended up going back to the bank. So the guy couldn't swing it and went back to the bank. And then somehow, some way, I don't remember how, somehow, some way I found out it actually was the same bank that I had mined through, which was right next door. And through conversation, I found out that they were going to sell it. So we went back and forth a little bit and we ended up buying that one too. And this was probably a year, year and a half in to owning that first 10 acre piece. Mm -hmm. And we had enough equity in it that I didn't have to come up with it, just closing costs to buy that 13 acres. Wow! So yeah, I didn't have to put any more money down, but you know what that does to the payment. Shoots it right up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you bought that 10 acres, did you know what you were doing?
1: Not a chance. no. (laughs) No, <laughs> you see how quickly I answer that
0: You're right.
1: No, I had, it did, but you know what? It didn't matter. My buddy bought the next one, the one right next, next to me. And he's still a good friend to this day. And, um, it was just the later that week. I'm like, Hey, his name is Ryan. I'm like, Hey Ryan, that piece next to me is for sale. You should go try buying it. And he ends up buying it. And then we went to the boundary waters a few months later and I remember canoeing and, uh, I mean, you know, you canoe forever up there canoeing and it, serious dude had it made. We're like, I remember saying to him, like, Hey man, we got our land. What's next? <laughs> We're like that, that was the farm. That was yeah. the farm to have thought we had it made. Didn't have any plans on doing it, like improving it and selling it and making any money on it. Just, it was just had it had a place to hunt. And you know what it was? I didn't have to ask somebody for permission to hunt. That's really all it was.
0: Right. That is very <laughs> liberating. And <clears throat> I, think, I think that's such a huge thing because everyone has had permission parcels, and, I'm, and I still have some today, and I'm so thankful for them, and I really appreciate them. But it is something just to be able to show up and do what you want on your own piece of ground and not like, hey, is it okay if I buzz out there this afternoon and like, yeah. And so was that one of the bigger motivations just to have a place that you could simply call your own?
1: Absolutely. I don't, I never killed. I don't know if I killed a buck. And now I did, I did kill a buck on that piece. It was a pretty nice one, but I remember the first doe I killed on it. And that was as gratifying and as satisfying as any deer kill I had had to date. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. There's once you hunt on your own land and you don't have, I, I have land. I don't kill stuff on it every year. It doesn't, doesn't bother me, but when eventually when you do kill something on your own property, there is nothing that compares to it. Mm-hmm. It's just so grat satisfying.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it is a, it is a very surreal feeling or even just walking, literally walking on the property, putting your boots on the dirt and thinking, man, I own this. This is really cool. This is, you know, this is my rock right here. And it sounds so <laughs> dumb, but when you, when you don't have any land growing up and then you buy something, I think you can really appreciate it and, and appreciate all the kind of silly little things, which most people would probably think you're crazy. But I think that's probably the, the part of the reason why people listen to this because they're probably just as crazy as we are when it comes to, comes to land. When you were buying that 10 acres, was there any level of uncertainty where you're thinking, man, I don't know, are we paying too much? I'm not sure. Or was it you had the utmost confidence, whether it was blind confidence, that this, is, this makes sense and this is a good decision? Or was there just some level of uncertainty in the back of your mind?
1: Oh, huge uncertainty. To hell with it. Didn't care. Just going to buy it. Had the down payment. Mm -hmm. Knew we could make the payment. I didn't care what land did. I just, I knew I now owned a piece of land that was eventually, no matter what the market did. I remember thinking at the time, the market is not good, Mm -hmm. but eventually it's going to not be not good. Mm -hmm. Eventually it's it's going to be better. Mm -hmm. So even if it goes, I remember thinking, even if it goes down, it eventually is going to come back. And It's fine because I don't plan on selling it anyway. Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't end up keeping it as several farms ago.
0: Sure. And when you bought that, did you have any mentors or was there anyone that said you're crazy to buy 10 acres for 4500 bucks an acre? I mean, what what were some of the people in your
1: corner that were either giving words of encouragement or you're crazy? (laughs) There's no words of encouragement. Uh, except for my wife, cause she was the one that pushed us to buy it. We went down there and made an offer on it there on the spot mm-hmm. and it was listed. Um, and the agent, good guy, he's still an agent to this day, real good guy. But, um, it was, it, it was, it was fine. I wasn't, I wasn't going to worry about it. And, um, we were just going to take it as they come. The, mm-hmm. as far as mentors didn't have any, uh, as far as naysayers, absolutely came back was all dude all excited all excited told a couple guys at work they're like that's kind of a lot isn't it and and it was yeah i'm like yeah yeah it is but you have to understand and i have this conversation to this day with people you have to understand it's only a 10 acre piece and as you know this is me explaining it to them as you know land goes up per acre when it's smaller acres and i can Vividly remember the guy to this day that gave me the worst time. Still doesn't own any land. Yep, and And that's fifteen years ago.
0: I know, and and why do you think that is? Is it is it why why is that? I mean, because people people, get golden
1: handcuffs. I think people get golden handcuffs. They get tied down to making payments on stuff, and people people poo poo payments. I like. I like nice things too. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is, we can get into this rabbit hole. What is life about? Okay. Life is about creating quality memories. So creating quality memories in one's mind is all up to them. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's quality memories is gambling, which it's, it's probably not. Or driving a really, really nice vehicle, their wife driving a really nice vehicle, and then living in a really nice house, and that's all they have, and they entertain people. Fantastic. It's all about what what you want. And so, I suppose I just wanted land more than him, Mm -hmm. because he's a hunter, he still is a hunter, but um, who knows if I'm happier than him? I don't know. I think I probably am. <laughs> 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 that's fair.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. It's uh, it's the thought of, I mean, people people everyone, everyone has different hobbies and everything else too. And I think uh, I, we were talking before. It's like sometimes I think people need to have permission to actually buy something. Like they're asking uh, different people, and then it is kind of a obscure thing that people don't really think about. Like, why would you want to buy? I mean, even I talk with clients too, and they think a piece of recreational ground is why would anyone ever buy that? You no, it's not tillable. There's going to be no return. Yeah. And, and sometimes you take the time to, to explain it. And then sometimes you're just like, yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> and, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> whether, whether I like it or not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We, it, there is a trend. If you look back in history, you can look at hunting. And it was kind of viewed as, even in my lifetime, I'm 42 years old. It's kind of viewed as a poor man's sport. You know, hillbilly sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, gosh, in the past 10 years... People could claim it's become a rich man's game and I wouldn't necessarily argue with them. You don't have to have a bunch of money to hunt, Mm -hmm. but it, it sure helps. So we're moving to, in my opinion, we, in our lifetime, we will see a European model of hunting. You go to Europe, rich people hunt mm -hmm. poor people don't hunt. We're moving in that direction.
0: What's, do you think that's a good, good thing or a bad thing?
1: Long-term. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but um, I don't I don't know what there is to stop it. There there's way more people out there than me. I, I'm you know I'm a drop in an ocean, mm-hmm. and there's I can't control the tidal wave. So it's unfortunate. It's a bummer. And you know a rising tide raises all ships. So values are going up. It does help people that that own land. But um, I never looked at man that guy is really rich. I want all of this stuff i'd always see somebody as man that guy has a lot how did he do it
0: mm-hmm. and that's that's such an excellent perspective because i think and this is me speaking thinking out loud but i think a lot of times when people look at things at face value they think like man he must have got lucky or he must have had this unfair advantage and mo- more times than not it's just they worked really long worked really hard for a really long time like decades Absolutely, and, and people forget the decades of the struggle and them prioritizing different things and and making it happen. And I think that's that's in so many different facets of life, and that's something that I've really noticed over the last <clears throat> five six years. And so, with that being said, with with access getting harder, um, you know, there's there's movements where people kind of poo poo uh, public land where it gets attention. And so, do you think that that trend itself will continue to force appreciation with land because people will probably, someone that really wants to hunt and maybe they lose access or maybe they're sick of paying for a lease, those people end up buying ground because they just, to your point, they just want something that is their own. Do you think that trend is a big driving force in recreational markets for a continued or sustained period of time? This is just your gut feeling.
1: I do, I do. Um, You know, there, there's, it's a, it's a finite, everybody talks about it. It, there's a finite amount of it. And to this day, I've never leased land. And it's crazy. I have plenty of real estate payments, okay, like chunk, several 1000 a month, I pay mm-hmm. towards real estate payments. But for some reason, I can I have not gotten myself to date to lease land. Mm-hmm. And then there's not I'm not saying there's any problems with it. I just find it so difficult to do it's hard to justify when, when,
0: if you do have the ability to put down a down payment and then you look at it and you're, you could think, okay, if my lease, if I was paying three or $4,000 a year for a lease, I mean, that's, that's a, a quarter of the year for this new piece. It might be substantially smaller, but at least I'm forcing appreciation for making improvements. And I'm also paying down the principal every single year too. And so I think it's the same rent versus own mentality for houses. And there's a, Mm-hmm. There's always a lot of hot debates on that and everything else, but it's kind of the same parallel of, well, you could just, instead of paying for a lease, you could save up a little bit of money and pay it down. Have you had a lot of clients that have that kind of journey where they go from leasing they're like, oh, I'm sick of writing a check every year to lease it. I don't know. It's a one year, it's a year to year lease. I don't ever know if I'm going to have it the next year. I'm just ready to buy something.
1: I'd have to well, assume that happens. Yeah, it does happen. Um, and people that, that lease tend to continue to lease. And they tend to scrounge up enough money to buy a lot. Not always. I would say a third of first-time buyers are doing it with a partner. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I bought a couple pieces with partners and got along great. As, to me, as long as expectations are the key to life mm-hmm. with anything. So expectations were set up front, LLC up front. How, how payments gonna go, how down payments gonna go, how everything is gonna go. And you can always revert back to the LLC paperwork. Mm-hmm. So um, that is probably one of the easiest ways to come up with a down payment is finding somebody like-minded. And you know what, hunting comes second to, to me. Mm-hmm. Investment first, You know, even if it is with a friend, it just so happens to be an investment that I can hunt.
0: Mm-hmm. So you think expectations and and using an LLC is is kind of the core principles of buying something with a partner. Are there any other key pieces of advice as well? Because we've all heard this horror stories of of failed, let's call partnerships. And and I'm sure you've sold some of those over the years too, where they just don't get along anymore. So is there any additional piece of advice you could give someone in terms of... Because this is the hard thing too. It's, you know, for example they buy a piece and then one has a kid and then like the other one has a kid and then like the families continue to grow and then it's i I just it's tough in a perfect world if you could find the perfect partner it makes complete sense but what are some key pieces of advice that you could provide uh, beyond expectations because it's easy to say but there's always all these different it's still a relationship at the end of the day and you bought it if you put the money down like you're probably friends with them and and that's obviously really important so i guess what insight can you provide?
1: Communications key. And if you can, you can just see how somebody is hardwired. You can see money doesn't change people, it reveals people. And so if you could hand that person a million dollars in cash, I don't have a million dollars in cash, but if you could hand that person a million dollars in cash, and you could trust them that in 10 years, not a penny would be taken from it, that might be one indicator that you could be a partner with them. Mm-hmm. If you could put a 180 inch deer in front of them, and they got a muzzle loader in their hands, and it's five minutes after shooting light, and they wouldn't shoot it, that's another indicator that you could trust that person. Mm-hmm. So, trust number one, and you just you have to think of all the scenarios up front that you might run into, and there's going to be other ones you don't run into, mm-hmm. and. And it's not that you can't disagree. Of course you can disagree. You just have to be able to figure out how you're going to get through it. So really what it is, it's, it's like a, it's a legal marriage to that person that you're forced to figure it out. And you know what? Even if you keep it only three or four years, if you can just keep it three or four years, chances are you're going to make money anyway. Right. So one, one partner wants out, the other one can't afford to buy the other one out. Oh, well, sell it. Mm-hmm. Go buy another one. Yeah, There's plenty of them, plenty mm-hmm. of them out there. I've had, I have legitimately owned in my mind dream pieces of property to me, just to mm-hmm. me. Not, I'm not talking thousand acre pieces. I'm not talking 500 acre pieces. Dream to me that I've sold mm-hmm. that, I, that I I love. Did it hurt? Did it hurt when you sell them? Sold them. Mm-hmm. It, does. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, it, You can get, you can put so much work into a piece of property, that it's almost like your dog dying when you sell it. You know, it's, you're, you know, you're gonna get over it. You know, it's gonna be okay. You're thankful for the good times. (laughs) You're thankful, yes. You're (laughs) thankful for the good times. You know, I'm still married, happy to come home to my kids. I'm still healthy. It's not that. You know, it's still first world problems. Yeah. But man, it still feels like you got kicked in the gut, even though you sell a piece that you just you really liked and you made money on it it does hurt but here's the other thing i've any piece i've sold that i've owned and i have not owned a lot of pieces of property and i'm not even i haven't bought one for quite some time um i stay in touch with them because i want to know i'm curious how's it going you shooting something big if you are i'd love to hear about it
0: yeah yeah for sure no and so when with some of those partnerships too do you ever have like a sunset clause in there or or that buyout agreement that is clear on the front end
1: where buyout agreement yes um no sunset it goes in perpetuity um unless somebody dies and then that's that's put in there um divorce that's put in there so um that stuff is stated but not in five years it'll be renegotiated anything like that Mm -hmm. got it
0: okay that's a question that that we've had people email in to ask so i'm glad you brought that up and then the other do you have any opinion on putting Parcels, And this is probably more of a question for a real estate attorney, but do you have any opinions on just you, Sean, buying a piece of ground and putting it in an LLC versus you, Sean, putting it in your personal name?
1: Um, Yeah, I, what I own, I have in LLCs. Mm -hmm. Um, It is easier because number one, the land that I've bought, I've bought as an investment one. Maybe that's how I sold it to my wife. Maybe it's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> either way, I'll stick by it. <laughs> but in investment one that I just so happy to be able to hunt. So, you know, mileage, if you can write off mileage or anything you put into the property. Granted, any property I've owned, not any, most of the ones I've owned have income on it. So I, I offset that income with improvements. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can lose money three, four, five years in a row, but you can sure get it down, you know, every other year ish, mm-hmm. talk to your accountant. Yep. You can sure get it down to making just a few bucks and maybe losing a few bucks the next year. Mm-hmm. So everything I put into it is an LLC because I'm looking to depreciate, um, the assets on there, you know, tile, fencing, buildings, and then I'm also looking to write off the, uh, the inputs. hmm yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that, make, that makes perfect sense. And so you circling you back here, you bought the 10 acres, you ended up buying the 13 acres basically through a... Was that pre-foreclosure or actual foreclosure?
1: Um, I think it was, it was short sale. So okay. the, the bank, it was just released back to the bank. Okay.
0: And so you ended up buying the 10 and the 13. So now you're 23 acres in, you're living high on the hog and you think you have life, life figured out. What... Yeah. Uh, what what was the next chapter there? Or what was the reason you decided to end up selling that? Because obviously you don't own it now.
1: Yeah, there was um so working for the utility company that I worked for, I saw plat come through in the town I live in. And there was a couple of lots that I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could ever afford those lots, I'd love to build a house there. And wouldn't you know what they went? The developer went through and developed it. Well, in order for me to build a house and us to buy the lot. Something I had to give you had to come up with the money somewhere, so ended up selling the thirteen acre piece and then sold the it was not quite ten acres sold that to a friend and he st- he built a house there, still lives there, and so sold that and then bought a lot that my current house sits on mm-hmm. and so that was in about two thousand i think it was two thousand and twelve when we bought the lot and then two thousand and thirteen when we built okay and n- none of this was with the intention of, Oh my gosh, we're going to strike it rich. There's going to be a land rush. There's going to be a real estate rush. Things are going to skyrocket. It was what made sense at the time. Mm -hmm. So we bought the lot and then built the house that we live in now and then sold our other house. And then a year later, this farm that I had permission on, I always dreamed of owning this 80 acre farm. It was, it still is awesome. Um, just it's beautiful and it's not really all that far from des moines so uh i up running down the guy that owned it and he because it was for sale before i could afford anything like that and then he lived out of state and he let me bow hunt it and a couple years i had bugged him a couple times i didn't know how we were going to afford it a couple times um just would talk to him and said hey if you ever want to sell it So he calls me. I can remember right where we were on a bridge, not far from our house right now. I remember the spot. He left a voicemail on my phone to give him a call. And my heart started beating like, why is he calling me? I think he wants to sell it. And I call him and he wanted to sell it. I was standing underneath my deck when I called him, which is right out there. He says, Hey, I'd like to sell you that piece of property. And then um, ended up buying that with a partner. Really? So, Yep. And so. um, Who who was the partner? Was it just a friend? good friend. Yeah. Great friend. One of my best friends, still very good friends to this day. So, um, he lives in Kansas. Um, but, uh, he great guy, but you know what? He doesn't hunt. I know. I know. I come from an area of like, you can't be any better than that. Right. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. A partner <laughs> he, that doesn't hunt for erecty
1: Yeah. Great guy. We're still very good friends. We talk all the time, uh-huh. but he doesn't hunt. So he just, he just, um, but it was, it wasn't, "Hey, I found this property. Will you please buy it with me?" It wasn't that. We had talked about several years because he's into, um, you know, retiring someday. He's into investing. he He does well for himself and his his line of work. so and then the opportunity just came up. So we had 20 percent to put down, and this is some people call like want to say everything. They worked so hard for something. I'll tell you what, this was luck. And I'll tell you why it was luck at the time, the financing outfit that we financed it with would give you, um, would do an appraisal and then appraisals. Now you have to put down X percent, say 20 or 30% of either the purchase price or the appraised price, whichever is lower Mm. at the time. If the appraised price came in higher than the purchase price, you could use that as your equity, part of the equity. So we ended up buying it for this, it appraised mm-hmm. for this, so we automatically had this right here of equity for yeah. part of the down payment. Oh my I, gosh. How now that's luck. Yeah. So then we only had to come up with oh I don't know what it was, like 20,000 each, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And put that down. And then, um, I ended up, um, you know, put a couple food plots on it. It's awesome piece of property. I still know the guy that owns part of it. Um, it got split up in two halves now, but, um, then found this other one that I wanted to buy and I called my farmer said, Hey, I found this piece that I'd like to buy. What would you rent the open ground for? And so he told me what he'd pay for rent. So then, uh, went back to the guy that owned property B, said, Hey, I want to buy it. Will you give me a month to sell this one? I said, Yeah, no problem. Bonehead move, bonehead move. Should have got it on contract. D- didn't know what I was doing. Because mm-hmm. um, you're not an agent at this time either, right? Nope, not an agent at the time. So sold the other one, didn't want to, but had to we put the down payment on this one over here. Got the other one on contract, called the guy. Uh, the guy lived out of state. And called him and said, Hey, got, got our property sold. We'd like to put yours on contract. He said, Oh, I already got it sold. The what? farmer, my farmer. No. Around, yep. And I know, I, I mean, I, I know him to this day. I have him in my cell phone. He, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. He nothing went around it. that I can do about it. Yeah. He might even still own the property. Uh-huh. So he bought that property. It was 230 acres. And I was bound and determined to 1031, bound and determined, which is not a good idea. You should, I mean, pay taxes, you, you know, you pay the piper now or later, either way you're going to pay him. Mm-hmm. So, but bound and determined to 1031 and then found another property and um, got, it was the property was a turd. You, you want to know about a turd of a property? I should, I still have pictures in one of my old phones. It had just been logged. It had been on the market with two or three different real estate companies. There was a small little 20 by 22 cabin in the middle of the farm. So you could drive through the farm to get there, yep. which is terrible for hunting access. And then it looked like a bomb went off in all the timber because whoever logged it, I'm pretty sure used a bulldozer instead of a chainsaw. <laughs> and it was a mess ended up buying it anyway and didn't have the down payment money. But we had a recently built house that I was, I general contracted our house. So I was mm-hmm. the contractor. I hired all the subs individually and we had a fair amount of equity in our house. So when we went from the construction loan to the fixed loan, we also, um, got set up cause there was one appraisal down there. We got set up a home equity line of credit. So, and when we built our house. Our savings went down to that. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's over budget when you build. It. Always sure. is. Just plan on it. Over budget. So, um, a couple of years goes by though. No, not even a couple of years. A year and a half goes by. Now we're at this point, and still had to close on this new property. It was thirty five thousand dollars short. So two days before closing, went to the bank that I had the HELOC. Got a thirty five. Cleared our savings account again. I'm not telling people to do that. Uh somehow, some way got it snuck by my wife (laughs) and um, got an additional $35,000 loan and made a down payment on that next farm. Dang. So uh, why did you want to buy it if it was a turd? Good question. Because I just knew there was upside to it. It had a bunch of income. um, From the tillable? From the tillable. Mm -hmm. It was going to get put into CRP. And so the, this is something that is, is pretty creative. I, I can't believe I thought of it at the time, but as a rule of thumb, you can't put something in CRP until you've owned it for a year. There is a way around it. There is, there is, um, actually verbiage in CRP contracts that if you really dig into it, you can do it prior to a year. It's just difficult, but rule of thumb, you got to wait a year. So what, but I wanted it in CRP. So, I got the current the seller to enroll it into CRP and then that way it was already in when we bought it and could be planted that fall.
0: Mm -hmm. And so yeah so just to break that down so basically part of the contract it was contingent upon them to put the tillable acres into CRP prior to purchase so then you could assume the CRP contract basically.
1: Yep and at the time (laughs) CRP the um, FSA, NRCS was very, very, uh, excited to enroll a lot in the CRP. So there was incentives on doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so
0: it, I don't know how complicated it is. I'm sure someone's wondering, well, how can you put CRP, um, under contract before owning it for a full year? Is it, do you have to write, write a letter, make a case?
1: You do. You have, a to make a case. you have to show that there's a need. A need for it i was told that by somebody i'm like there's no way there's just no way and it is not in the paint like you can go to the, your local fsa office nrcs office and you can grab your different um, programs you can grab the sheets for different yeah, programs. Yeah. yep yeah yep. And i'll tell you everything about those programs you know forbes what it's meant for if you can allow wildlife food areas which is going to be food plots but it's not in that it's actually in the legal The farm Um, bill basically it's in the farm bill yeah And, And, and so i read into it and you you have to show a need and then somehow some way you have to prove that you didn't buy it to put it in crp so then that's why whenever you go to your nrcs office you're always nice to them you don't tell them what to do you ask them what you should do
0: yeah i mean that's that's a key thing i think people get frustrated for sometimes and um, they're just doing their job and I, and their resources. So I think it's, it's always good to ask them questions. And most times, uh, you get someone that's excited about their job, they're happy to tell you. So I think that's very, very key. Cause I know there's just,
1: my wife works at the FSA office. So, so oh, I hear, really? yeah, Oh,
0: so, yeah. So, so be nice to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But a lot of them, crazy thing. A lot of them don't know that it can be enrolled prior to a year. Now that was back in 2014, 15, there was a new farm bill signed in 2017. Mm-hmm. So and supposedly maybe they, a new one coming here, some, uh, keeps getting pushed back, I think, but there's another one coming yep. here too. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe they took that verbiage out, but honestly, it's probably not even worth it to mess with. Yeah. But if you can get somebody to enroll in CRP prior to buying it, that's the easiest way of doing it.
0: Yeah. That's a, such a key, such a key tip for sure. Uh, absolutely. And so it was a turd of a farm, but you're able to get it enrolled into CRP and then there, there's uh every now and then uh, I I get a listing or I walk a farm that was this log heavily and a, a lot of people just instantly get turned away instantly mm-hmm. they're just no yeah. nah, I'm not interested hard hard rule hard line in the sand what what was your perspective on that too so obviously you were open to it um, yeah from the income but with it looking ugly
1: did you look at that as beauty <laughs> as a bunch of new no. uh, new growth or was no it just- I I remember looking at it and saying texting back the agent that had it listed and said i've never seen a farm so ugly in my life <laughs> i i have that's a, that might be verbatim what uh-huh. i text him but one thing about stuff getting logged is people say that after a growing season it's fine it's not it takes, um, it takes two, or, it take two, take two or thousand. three
0: yeah
1: uh three is ideal mm-hmm. and then um if this is another completely up for debate, but walnuts tend to have small tops, especially high value walnuts tend to have small tops. So they mm-hmm. don't ruin a lot when they come down, but, um, cottonwoods, sycamores, um, oaks, yep. bur oaks, they have huge tops. So when they come down, they tear a lot with them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be cognizant of that. And so two or three years, sometimes two, if you get a bunch of rain, but you can just plan on three years and then really not being able to it doesn't look like a bomb went off you're gonna be mm-hmm. able to tell yeah you'll be able to tell does it is it super ugly and awful no it's not too bad mm-hmm.
0: and so how long did you own that farm
1: uh five years own own that for five years and then um there's nothing wrong with honesty right so i wanted to get rid of i wanted to leave by this time was a real estate agent got my mm-hmm. real estate license in 2017 and wanted to leave my full-time job and which I don't I'm a full-time real estate agent owner broker of an office so and I but I wanted to leave that at the time and the easiest way to leave that was to capitalize on the the investment that was there and and put some money back in my pocket mm-hmm. so you sold it
0: put the money in your pocket um paid the taxes on it Did. But, so you didn't 1031 it? everyone's brainwashed right now with 1031 I think
1: I think so too. That's a great way of putting, I think people like talking about it. Plus it's just another feather in someone's hat to go and chit chat about how they 1031. It's not a big deal. Uh I mean, there's, there's certain a rule of thumb, right? And everybody has to figure out it's going to be their own, own rule of thumb. But if depending on your income, because there is a difference in capital gains, so if you make over, it was $550,000-ish, somewhere in there, if you made over that amount, the um, the amount of capital gains went up. So if you make under that, it was 15%. If you made over that, it was 20%. Mm-hmm. And then you do have to pay state um, income tax as well, capital gains, income tax. But someone just has to figure out, you know, is paying another 20, $25,000, is that gonna make me pursue a property I shouldn't really buy. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you feel the pressure because Dude, there's tons of pressure, yeah. but you know what, this is what I, this is what I tell people, should I 1031? This is what people will ask me, should I 1031? And I can say to them, well, let's just be really candid about how much you're going to make on the property, how much you think you're going to make. And then we'll do the math. And then if I think they should, this is what I'll say. You can call a couple of companies, call this one, this one, or this one. Set it up. If you don't 1031, you're out seven to $900. Mm-hmm. If you do 1031, great. It's already set up, but you have to remember, you must, must, must. There's no way around it. You must set it up prior because you cannot have access to that money. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll use. If I think someone should 1031, I'll just tell them to set it up and then be prepared to lose seven <laughs> to $900 because then it's an additional, you know, five to $700 to, to go through with it.
0: hmm yeah, I think that's key. And uh, so you ended up, what What made you want to get your real estate license? Was it
1: dealing with real estate agents saying, man, I could do this?
0: <laughs> <Or what? laughs> yeah, I, it
1: was, I was, okay, so more balls than brains. Always been that way. I love adrenaline. Okay, I like I said, fast cars, motorcycles, plate in my arm from wrecking a snowmobile in Wyoming, I love, I, I love challenges. So I just decided I'm going to get my real estate license. And I talked to my wife and she said, yeah, you should try it. So got my real estate license. It started out just making some extra money and, and it took off. And, um, it is a lot, a lot of hard work. There is, if there's an easy way to make money, Jake, tell me. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I'm all ears, it man. I haven't if,
0: figured it out yet. Okay.
1: <laughs> if you do, I encourage you to pursue it. <laughs> uh-huh. But, um, So I just, I wanted to try, I've always, I've always really enjoyed real estate. I wanted to get my license, my real estate license back when I was in college at, in Cedar Falls at UNI, Mm -hmm. and I never did it, continued with college and graduated from there. So I kind of had a seed in my head that I wanted to get it at some point. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity came up and got my license and, I mean, everybody wants to claim how hard they work, and I'm not going to claim that I outwork everybody, and I'm the hardest worker in every single room. But many, many, many nights and weekends working full time, and my wife would vouch to it, 100%. I was, I'd be, I'd be up at six o'clock. I'd have to go to work at eight. Eight to four thirty was that job. it Mm -hmm. It was a very stable job, great place to work. Be up at six on my computer working, many times over lunch or you know, on my phone, because you can do a lot from a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And then in the evenings, come home, do the family thing. Kids go to bed at that time. No, to bed at eight and I'd be up until 1030, hop in the shower at 11, go to bed, sleep real quick and then get back up and then many, not not Saturdays and Sundays. I tried to always take one of those days off, but sometimes Saturdays and Sundays. So I would say when I was working full time, I averaged probably 65 to 70 hours a week for years on end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just got lucky. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I got I got very, very lucky. And and, and look how lucky I've got. <laughs> Yeah. So here's a here's
0: kind of a this is a candid question. So with the interest in land, and you, and you sell a lot of land too, and, and you have the website Iowa Landman, is that right? Is that the exact mm-hmm. uh, domain? And so yep,
1: dot Yep. But you work with Remax. Yeah.
0: So, yep. so it's a I'm, trade
1: name. Uh-huh. So it's it's a it's a registered trade name. Um, but yeah, Remax is my broker. Uh-huh. Yep.
0: How do you? Uh, and this is more real estate. How do you decide to go with them?
1: I don't. Uh, you know what? I took my real estate classes with a guy by the name of Bill Jennings. He is awesome. Very good friend to this day. He's a 50-50 partner in my office that I own. Mm -hmm. And he's been a real estate instructor for a long time. He's been in real estate 25 years. He farms. He's been a broker for 15, 16 years. So one of my classes I took with him and we just happened to go out to lunch one day and we, we we became friends. So then when I got my license, right after I got my license, like maybe... I don't know, a couple months into it, I wanted to go and be brokered through him. And so some things came together and then I went to him like, I have this idea. I just want to start this name. What do you think of it? He goes, I love the name. Try it out. See if it works.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Because I, I think, um, I think a lot of times, uh, aspiring agents and I know there's been agents that were people that listen to this podcast and were inspired and went and got the real estate license. And now that's what they do full time, which is really cool to know that this played a small part in that. But I think a lot of times people think that
1: you have to go with, you know, one of the three or four major land brokers. Um, but yeah. obviously you still find- you can, you can, you know what there, I, I can think of a major land broker out there that if I were to die, I would say, I, I need to write it down somewhere. So my <laughs> wife knows <laughs> that if I were to die, I'd say, Hey, call like so-and-so it. have them list the farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause he needs to go sell it. There's some, there's some good dudes out there that are real estate agents. You know what? There's some bad apples in anything. And mm-hmm. I, I completely understand where people might get a bad taste in their mouth, but, um, that's in any profession, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. So you ended up selling that farm, you got your real estate license. And then what was, when was the next farm that you bought? Had it, would it, was it a, a few years as you were building your real estate business or was it
1: shortly after? Um, So sold that one, and then in a matter of not too long, ended up uh, leaving my full-time job. But before then, I went a hunting season without owning land. Oh, boy. And so I had had this nest egg of money. And again, I'll revert back to it. What do we want in life? We don't enjoy it. Want to create positive memories. So, for some reason, I had in my mind that if I have this chunk of money, that'll fill the void of not owning land. And I was not happy that hunting season. I did have a friend. He let me, I I still have permission pieces that I hunt. He let me hunt a piece of property he bought. And it was, I'm very grateful for that. But it was just, there was this void. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, man, I have got to go buy some more land and had a good year in real estate. So saved up, saved up more money, had that money from selling and then um, paid a boatload in taxes that year due to the fact that had a good year in real estate and um, also selling that property and then went out and bought a couple more. Mm-hmm. So um, there was there was another one in there that I had bought and sold that one it was listed with an agent up North of Des Moines. And I did have my real estate license. And then he just, he called me and he's like, he, he sells mostly houses. He called me. He's like, Hey, I got this property. You have any interest in, know of anybody that's interested in it. And I ran it by a couple of guys and it was in some, it was in an unknown area. You know, it wasn't in Southern Iowa. Mm-hmm. It was an unknown in an unknown area. And so I just, um, ran it by a couple of guys. They didn't want to buy it. And I'm like, man, it looks really cool. I'm going to go look at it. Went and looked at it and then ended up buying that one. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was pure luck too. That was, that was honestly, it was, was, cause he just called me. He's like, Hey, you want to buy it? And I'm like, talk to my wife. And she's like, Whatever. You better not make us go broke. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife sounds like a trooper here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the trooper. I'm okay, the one right. that's married to her.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's funny. And so you, you ended up, you walked it, you liked it. And I did. And here's the craziest, this is a crazy story. This will never happen again in my life. Signed on it that day. And a guy walks in with a post-it a post-it note said, Hey, this property you're buying, this other guy called on it a couple days ago, wants to buy it. And I'm like, okay. So the next day I called him and I was like, Hey, my name's Sean. Bought that. This was, this was several years ago. No, this is probably five years ago. I bought that farm. Um, just want to let you know why I bought it. He's like, would you sell it? And I'm like, hey, I'm not really interested in selling it. I just bought it. But it was an area I had no clue about. It was just cool. It was close to a river. There's a bunch of rocks and, there's a buried, um, crop field in the back that was really hard to get to. It was really tough to walk. It's a very, very rocky area, mm-hmm. but it was just really neat property. And, uh, he's like, would you give me a call back and think about it and give me a call back in a couple of days. So I called him back and I was like, yeah, I suppose I'll sell it. He's like, okay, what do you want for it? And it was, it was like 76 acres. And this is, I mean, it's not like it was a ton of money, especially after you pay taxes on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you give me forty thousand dollars over what I paid. And then we end up settling like a, I don't know, like 39 or something. He wanted a thousand bucks for something. I don't remember what it was. Clean up the driveway or something. I'm like, yeah, sounds good. And he's still like looking back on it, oh my gosh, did I leave money on the table? But I didn't, I didn't, it's not like I did a bunch to it and I in hindsight, I wish I could have that property back for what he paid me for it. Mm-hmm. Not, not even what I paid for it, for what yeah. he paid me for it. I'd love to have that property back. And, and so when you said you left money on the table, was it just
0: the location that ended up making it great? Or was it just, wh- why do you think you left money on the table there?
1: Because um, I felt bad about making money on something I didn't do anything to. Uh-huh. That's really why. I know I could have sold it for I probably could have made 80,000 on it, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, I don't know what it was. I just felt bad about not doing anything to it. And this guy wanting to buy it from me. And plus he called on it before I even closed on it. And so him and I still text, he bought Mm -hmm. it. He bought it with a partner. And actually I texted his partner. His partner is easier to get a hold of. And, um, and so that's probably why I let, I just, I I don't know why it would weigh on my conscience. I mean, market value is market value, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting.
0: And so, uh, this, I kind of want to just transition because I think you've, you started in 2008, so that was obviously a clear market cycle. And then we've seen, you know, everyone kind of knows what's happened the last couple of years with land. What is your gut check right now with current market for anyone that's listening that is a buyer sitting in the weeds? I ask, I ask this question to just about everyone because it's always interesting to hear everyone's perspective. Everyone has, a, Usually, uh, honestly, it's a common theme with what they say, but I want to hear what you
1: have to say. I'm, I'm going to guess I'm going to go against the grain okay. on this one. When everybody's walking, you run. When everybody's running, you walk. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to march the beat of my own drum. If you like it, buy it. If you got the down payment and you like it, buy it. There is the, the United States has been around for 247 years, 1776, 2023. Uh, yeah, 247 years. There's never, not once, ever been a 10-year time frame in U.S. history where land has not beat its previous peak. Mm-hmm. No matter what, there there will be. Mark my words, there will be a day, in. Uh, who knows if it's going to be in three years, five years. 10 years, it'll be under 10 years, but there will be a day where we wish we could buy land for what it is selling for today. So if you like it, buy it Mm -hmm. and you can afford it. Right. But here's a, here's a crazy thing is W2 people, especially the bank ain't going to give you money if you can't afford it. If you're Mm W2 and you keep your job. Okay. Now everybody has a certain stability in their job. Stability in a job tends to also relate to income. You know, a lower steady income, a lower income tends to be more steady, you know, government jobs, right? School Mm -hmm. jobs. Those tend to be more steady. Those are very, very stable jobs. If you got a two household person where you've got very stable jobs, Bank ain't going to give you money if you can't afford it now, business owners completely different because mm-hmm. they're they're in, including me, you, right? Our money can go like this, oh, yeah. So you got to be able to weather storms. and I've been in tight situations, and i'm not I'm not this guy that's got a bunch sitting sitting flush with cash. if if I got into a serious pinch, I'd have to sell one of my farms. Mm-hmm. Would I make money on it? Probably. Would yeah. I get all my down payment money back and then some? yeah, yeah. So what's the downside? I mean, that's what I'm hearing.
0: If if you can afford it and if it's what you want and you can weather a storm, then, you know, yeah. There's no
1: perfect property either. There is (laughs) no, there's, I can think of guys that are great people, great friends that have been talking about buying land for 15 years. Some of them five, some of them 10, some of them 15. Been talking about buying land and how they, and now they can't even afford it because it's went so high. Just buy less. It's gonna go up in value. If two hundred and forty-seven years of history is not enough, then it's not enough. You're never gonna buy land. Right. Yeah,
0: I I think that's so. What I mean, what about the interest? Because that's okay. So I'm playing. I got my buyer's hat on right now. I'm saying, well, Sean, yeah. I mean, you know, two years ago, interest rates were four percent. Now they want Mm -hmm. me to pay eight or nine percent. How you know I could I can afford half of what I could have two years ago? Is it still a good time to buy?
1: Buy half there you go. <laughs> it, here's, okay, so really, really, if if you really, I, I'm sounding a little sarcastic here, but um, if you can pull off the down payment, so there's, I, I, I generally work with land. Now I sell houses too, because mm-hmm. I just told you I'm broker through Remax. So I sell houses. Honestly, I think that market is easier to crack into as a real estate agent than it is land. I think land mm-hmm. is very difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. But if one of the lenders, if you can put 10% down, you can amortize it for 10 years 15 down 15 20 20 25 25 does that what make sense what i'm saying yeah put 25 down. you can finance for 25 years so one can do the math on their own one can do the math at somewhere between seven and seven and a half percent i have not seen any loans go through yet or any people lock at eight percent it's all been under eight so far mm-hmm. so if one has the down payment money, they can simply do the math on their own. I don't need to be able to tell them if they can afford it. They can just put a mortgage calculator. I have an app on my phone because I do this all the time. Free yep. app, mortgage calculator. If they can afford the down payment, they do the math. They can afford the interest. Just buy it. It's not mm-hmm. going to go. The land is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to disappear. It's not like you bought Anheuser-Busch stock and you, you're going to lose a bunch of money. Or let's say, you know what? A tech stock. Mm-hmm. And then the money is literally gone, and you have no asset anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a hard asset. It's so and it's so much more stable too. I mean, it is
0: uh, a much more stable investment as well. And and beyond that, I think the the core pillars you get a haunt it too. <laughs> if you're you do. That's a big part of it, um, and I think that's a, the big motivator for most. And people.
1: you can force equity. You Absolutely, can force equity by improving. And one of the big things is trail cam pictures so many trail cam pictures as a real estate agent those are some of my favorite things and people and as you know what they do they pull it up on their computer and then they take a picture oh, with yeah. their phone and it's like dang it fine it'll work fine but dang it trail cam pictures and improvements will make a property's value go up like none other mm-hmm.
0: yeah so uh, buy your exodus trail cameras
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: get, get those crispy photos and i could yep. agree more and i think but as a buyer, as someone that wants to force that appreciation, you don't know if there's big deer on there because there's no trail cam pictures on the listing. Do you, you hit see on a that? Great point? Do you think that's an advantage? Or maybe there's not trail cam pictures on it because there's no big deer.
1: doesn't matter. You know what people want? Really? Okay, a lot of people want, I want to hunt big deer. You want, everybody wants to hunt big deer. Sure. Bigger driving factor, people want a place to hunt. They don't yeah. have to ask permission. I... I'm disappointed if I don't get big deer on a farm doesn't make me want to sell it. Nah, it well, really you, doesn't.
0: And you can do those things to improve it, to hopefully get, you know, a mature buck to suck into the farm. And maybe it yeah. takes a year or two, but uh, once again, there's still that opportunity to force the appreciation and get some bucks in there and obviously inherently increase the value. But that's always a, it's a double-edged sword. And I think, uh, I think that's the importance of working with a good agent as well. That's familiar with the area too. And so when, when, you know, I call you up and I'm, Hey, this is, there's no deer pictures on this. Is it because it sucks because it's in a bad area? Or is it just because the other agent didn't ask for them or they don't have them? And that's usually, I, you know, depending on what part I'm calling you about, I feel like you'd be able to say, no, this is a
1: good area or "Eh,
0: the neighbors (laughs) neighbors are pretty hard on them through here.
1: Right. But it's, it's gotten so much better in the past, oh, half a dozen to a dozen years on, on neighbors and and uh, not crossing borders mm-hmm. because everybody has trail cameras now and they should be Exodus, but <laughs> everybody has trail cameras now. So that's, that's really helped. Mm-hmm. But, um, really people just want a place to hunt. Now I encourage people to not go and just hunt and kill stuff, right? You do what you can for the habitat, do what you can for the wildlife to improve it and leave it better than, than what you bought it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, be, be net positive with, with the land you're on. Leave, right. it better, leave it better than what you found. So, what are, is there any key mistakes you've made along the way in your years that you want to tell someone? And just kind of, I always call it flattening, flattening the learning curve. Is there, do you want to flatten the learning curve from any mistakes that you've made over the years to help someone? Maybe you help me.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I'm not in the buying and selling mode right now. I, as an agent, you, you kind of know as an agent, you're really going to pull back from turning farms, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're going to focus on helping people buy and sell. And the farms I own now, legitimately, honest to goodness, I, could su- I swear to you with full confidence that paid market value for them. It doesn't mm-hmm. bother me to pay market value for something. But th- one of the biggest mistakes that I've made is it's crazy. I have lost Way more money, not buying land than I have made buying land because of paralysis of analysis. Mm. There's There's no such thing as a perfect farm. People are like, uh, you can have, you can have great access or you can have excellent seclusion, but you can't have both mm. because, you know, roads give you access, right? Mm -hmm. But if your farm is like this and here's your road and it just touches right here, amazing seclusion. And then you got a buyer, access is garbage. Well, okay. There's, yeah. an, you, you take so what would what you, you rather you get. have? What would you rather have? Amazing access. access to,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind a bunch of road frontage. But uh-huh. you know what? I have got, I got a farm that's got a pile of road frontage. Love it. I have a farm that's on a maintenance B road, access is garbage. Love it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. I like, I like the farms. Mm-hmm. So there's no such thing as a perfect farm. I have been, you have to, I mean this, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't say this, but I've been on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, probably sold hundred million dollars worth of land in the last three years. P- pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. Never seen a perfect farm. Yeah. They just, they, they don't exist. Just if you like it, buy it and fo- realize this too, the worst thing about the farm. Try to find out what that is, too, because chances are that is what the next person is going to mm-hmm. think the worst thing is, too. Mm-hmm. So can you address the worst thing? If you can't, can you live with it? Yeah. And if you and if, is there anything you can do to change it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you straight up can't do anything about it. And you just have to live with it. But again, because it's not, it's not perfect.
0: Yeah. That's an excellent piece of advice. And that's when I'm walking farms and and trying to help a buyer, like, okay, this is the, this is the bruise of the farm and uh, same exact thought process. So if you decide to end up selling this, this is the same thing that people are going to scrutinize when you go to sell it. And so, I mean, that has to be factored into the purchase, but I think that's an excellent piece of advice. Is there, we'll, we'll close it out here, but is there a common myth or misconception that you wish you could debunk for listeners? regarding whether it's land buying or land ownership that necessarily isn't the perfect farm. So it could be the ownership or the
1: buying. Um, it's it probably just that last point that I said that there's no such thing as a perfect farm, paralysis of analysis, and you're either gonna face, face the, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Mm. I can much easier live with the pain of discipline than I can the pain of regret. i mentally like berate myself daily. Plus I'm married, right? Of course (laughs) it's happens everywhere I look, (laughs) but you're going to face the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Choose your pain. I'd rather face the pain of discipline. Somehow, some way figure out a way to build that nest egg so I can make the down payment. Mm -hmm. And then just get started. Get started and
0: start with 10 acres. I mean, here's the perfect example. Here's, uh, I always love it when these just naturally happen and a guy does what everyone else, you know, kind of preaches. Like, I just bought 10 acres. That's what I could afford. And I was able to, you know, make, end up making more money with uh, developing my career. And, and you were able to buy more ground and learn more things. And yeah. that's it. You start with Absolutely. 10 acres.
1: 10 acres. That's right. <laughs> start, start with something. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Buy, you know what? You don't wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. hmm I like that, yeah. I like that.
0: But you, uh, you, we need uh, uh, the Sean uh the, the calendar where you rip everything
1: off. There's a new say every
0: single day. <laughs> you can have the pain of uh, or discipline next day.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right, man. That's right. I, I live I live through analogies. I love it.
0: Well, where can people find you if they want to give you a call or or learn more with what you have going on?
1: Yeah, so you can just go to Iowa Landman. Dot com. Uh, you can reach out to me there. Or you can simply Google my name, Sean, S-E-A-N, Asada, A-S-A, D as in dog, A, just like carne asada. Sean Asada, you can Google me. You can find several ways to get a hold of me that way as well.
0: Awesome. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, thank you, Jake. You're a good dude, man. Appreciate it.
0: There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would be awesome if you left a five-star written review wherever you listen to this. And until next time, see ya.